we live in a world where sometimes we're going the opposite way of everyone else, right? Did you know that today's date is one of those few dates that you can read forward and backwards the same? Think about that, right? 020220. <laughs> you know, sometimes we experience most of the time where we're going against the current of the world. And we know that not just as Christians, but also because of the hostility we encounter here. Have you noticed how quickly tempers can rise? I've watched, I've read through sometimes the police logs in the local paper, and I'm amazed by how many times you see domestic disputes and law enforcement being called in to settle some point where someone's anger has just escalated. And Hollywood has a way of sensationalizing that. If you ever saw the 2002 movie Changing Lanes, maybe you remember this story of a successful young white Wall Street attorney named Bannock, and he's on his way to the courthouse and distracted while driving. And his Mercedes CLK 320 collides into a 1988 Toyota Corolla owned by a middle-aged black insurance salesman named Gibson. And in a rush to get to court, Bannock brushes Gibson off when, when Gibson is stranded and says to him, better luck next time. Well, Gibson isn't having it. He finds where Bannock has parked his car and he removes several bolts, lug, lug nuts, from one of Bannock's wheels. And Bannock suffers of minor injuries after his car crashes on the highway. If this weren't enough, Gibson then becomes the victim of Bannock because Bannock goes to the elementary school where Gibson's childrens are. And he tells school officials that Gibson plans to kidnap the boys from his estranged wife. So Gibson is arrested and jailed. And on and on the story goes. And we can hear that kind of story and go, well, that's not real life. At least it's not my life. But here Jesus is saying it actually is the life of a believer to encounter opposition. Maybe not that kind. But he warns. I want you to open your Bibles if you're not already there to John 15 where we see this. In my Bible, there's a heading in the verses that Phil just read for us. It says, the world's hatred. And in verse 18, it says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. And then in verse 20, since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And he says, all of this opposition is to fulfill the prophecy that the world would hate him without cause in verse 25. Would you flip over to, verse, to chapter 16, verse 4 with me? If you're not already there, scripture that Phil read to us. I want you to understand with me why Jesus is talking about this hostility. I've had a couple people say to me when they saw the bulletin, a relationship of hostility, even Diane looked at it and said, shouldn't that be hospitality? <laughs> but here Jesus says, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. Why does Jesus feel the need to warn his disciples as they're walking from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane? You know what's about to happen, right? They're about to come, with, come for Jesus in the middle of the garden in the night with their torches, ready to arrest and take the Son of God away. 
Does anyone believe footnotes are kind of, uh, are, are they part of, you know, is that God's word too? Do you have footnotes? No, but you know what, mine, I have a footnote. Does anyone have a footnote in 16.4? <laughs> I'm just curious. Does anyone have a footnote there? We must be reading different Bibles. Mine, mine has one. For John 9.22. So flip over to John 9.22. And I'm going to tell you maybe why the authors, the interpreters or translators would have had a footnote here for this verse. Where Jesus says, I want you to be warned about the hostility you'll find in the world. That scripture goes over and tells a story of the parents of a man born blind. And how these parents were being interrogated by the synagogue officials. Because Jesus had healed their son of his blindness. Listen to what it says in verse 22 of chapter 9. Because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. Because they were afraid, what did they do? What's it say in your Bible? What did they do or not do? What did they do or not do? Yeah, told them to ask the son, right? Ask him, don't ask us. And what were they, what were they wanting to, what was it that they, that they wanted the son to do? To tell them, tell, for him to tell them about how the Messiah had healed him. They didn't want to say it. I think the reason why this footnote is here is because I believe Jesus was saying, I'm warning you about hostility to come because the opposition of the world is meant to try to shut you up to silence you, to keep you from speaking up. Now, you and I might read this story and go, how is that such a bad thing to get kicked out of church? There's a bunch of churches that you could, could have gone to, right? Not there. Think about the story of this young man. If this was maybe the son who was to care for them in their older age, but because of his disability, maybe he's not part of the community, not welcomed in. He's not able to provide for them because he's needing to provide for himself. Maybe he's begging. And so these parents are dependent on a community to help provide for them in their older age. So to be cut off from their community means to be cut off from all help and support as they look to the future. Do you see the opposition? And it was all because they couldn't say who Jesus was and what he had done. This is probably the greatest day from their son's birth, don't you think? To talk about this, their he, his healing. And yet they were silenced. You know, we're going to talk about the world's opposition right now. But I want you to hear this. We are not the persecuted church. Does anyone know that? I've been reading uh, what, Doug, you gave me. Extreme devotion, stories from the voice of the martyrs. And read this week this incredible story of a Romanian pastor. And when the Romanian police came and broke into his home, he was reading his Bible to his family from Psalm 23. And the police, that police officer that was about to arrest him was just, just completely chewing him out. How could you right here be doing this, putting your family at risk? And he took Psalm 23 and he said, you know what? We just read in the presence of my enemies, thou hast prepared a table before me. So here you are come to the table and have breakfast and the man said don't you realize that you could be put to death for this and he said we read about that too that even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death you are with me you're with me even in the sh valley 
And that man stood up and was taken away from his family. I want you to know the opposition that we experience here is not that. And so this should be a call to us to pray for the persecuted church. But I want to talk to you about what it's like here in the U.S. of A. Where we aren't experiencing that right now. Let's just say that you are answering a call for a coworker. And that coworker hears who's calling and they don't want to talk to them. So they say to you, tell them I'm not here. That ever happened to you? Tell them I'm not here. And your thought goes, well, how could I justify that? Maybe you even think if I tell a lie here, where's that going to lead to? What's even more awkward is that everyone's watching. What are you going to do? He says he's not here. I like that. There you go. <laughs> Good answer there, Dan. I have to remember that if that happens to me. But can you imagine how many times you and I are in situations like that where we have to do something that's awkward just because we're not going the direction that everyone else is? And it changes the dynamic, doesn't it, with the people around us? when we do something like that. Well, I want to talk to you today about three typical responses to the opposition of the world. This, of course, is a picture of the opposition that Christians in the first century encountered when they were literally thrown to the lions. There's three responses that typically we find that the church has to the world. And by the world, let me just explain this. It's the system of thinking of the world that excludes God, removes God completely from life and puts self at the center. One response is, if you can't beat them, join them. Another response is, if you can't beat them, ignore them. And the last one is, you, you don't beat them, you love them. Joey, a couple weeks, read this, weeks ago, read this scripture from Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. So clearly, we're not up against people as much as we are up against a whole system that is against our God. And so why do we encounter this opposition? Before we look at these three, just think with me about where we've been in this chapter, John 15. We began by talking about how Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And that we find our lives in him. That to be separated from him is to not have life. And last week we talked about that great command to love one another. And that Jesus modeled what it means to be a laid down lover when he washed dirty feet in chapter 13. Knowing that he had come from the Father, he was going back to the Father. And that all authority had been given to him over everything in heaven and earth. Jesus showed us that we can yield ourselves and live as interdependent people in a world that's self-directed and independent that wants to put self first. And so that's why we encounter so much opposition because it's completely different from the way the world operates. So let's look at these three examples here. First, think about if you can't beat them, join them. In Romans 12, 2, it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. And in 1 John 2, 15, do not love this world nor the things that it offers you. Jesus is calling us to be different. And that includes even in our suffering. Over in 1 Peter, 
Peter is talking to the persecuted church and he says in chapter 3, even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. But he goes on to say that if you do suffer for doing wrong, then you've suffered rightly because you're receiving exactly what's due you. And sometimes that happens, doesn't it? When we go the way of the world, I have a friend of mine that stood up against the opposition of the world and did something that I'm not sure I wasn't ready to do, but I'm not sure many of us would be either. He was one of those with Operation Rescue. Did anyone ever hear of Operation Rescue? It was a movement back in the 90s, I guess, or 80s, where people would go and blockade, block the entrance to abortion clinics in the United States. And this was going on in the Boston area. We met my first job where he was a print press operator. And I knew him to be someone who had come out of a rough background where he had been delivered from drug addiction. And I remember him challenging me, Jim, if you really believe, then come on down, come with me. So one morning, I remember going to Worcester, Massachusetts, where this Planned Parenthood clinic was. And in he went before we got there, and he chained himself with others to the door to keep anyone getting in that day and to shut down the clinic. And outside, you want to talk about opposition. I remember all these Protestants and Catholics that were wanting to protect the unborn were marching around singing songs, praising God, and you'd see a car roll up. And a mom would get out of the car, and she'd start to march around them, and she started chanting, born-again bigots, go away! And it wasn't long before I saw the paddy wagon taking my friend away from the clinic. Talk about opposition, whether you agree or not with the methods. The fact is, is my friend put himself at great risk. He suffered, but here's where he didn't suffer for doing good. See, it was in prison where he was alone and surrounded by others that he was exposed again to that old drug culture. And when he got out as a felony, he didn't make it work with his printing press operation. So he resorted to selling drugs and was re-jailed, re-arrested and put in jail. Now, I've not seen this friend for years, and I believe there's a better story that God has written in his life. But from what I could see in Facebook, because we're connected through that way, things have much improved. He's at a different place now. He's a grandfather, and he's clearly through his posts shows that he is still walking with the Lord but I share this story, not because necessarily you and I can relate to it, but I want you to know that when you take a stand, when you put your head up above the crowd, right, that you can stick out. There's a target on our backs, right? And that the temptation to want to go, the flow, to go with the current can be great. You know, as I think about an analogy of what that looks like, that attitude toward the world, it's a green light on the traffic light. It's a green light that says, you know what, if you can't beat them, join them. Just don't oppose anymore. Go with it. Now, there's another response that I mentioned, and it's, if you can't beat them, ignore them. And this comes from John 17. What happens in John 17 is that the 
people who, the people who take this point of view have ignored what Jesus has said here. He says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, he says to the Father, but to keep them safe from the evil one. See, the Lord has left us in the world to give witness to the world. And we forget why we've been put here. And that's because we read this other scripture. If you look over at John 15, 19, it feels like it's saying the opposite thing. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of this world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Jesus says in John 17, 18, just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. Do you hear that tension there? To be in the world, but not of the world? See, this second point of view is the idea that I retreat from the world. I withdraw and I disengage from the world. I read recently about a community that developed that wanted to do like these monastics would do kind of pull away from the world to be closer to God. And last year was the 50th anniversary of the Woodstock Music Festival. About two hours north from there, where that festival happened, a community developed of people that wanted to live like the New Testament church and retreat from the world. And they call that community the Love-In community. If you've ever heard of Phil Kagey, he was one of the members of that community. And if you know Phil Kagey and ever heard him, you know that he is unashamed about giving testimony to his Lord Jesus Christ when he plays his guitar in concerts. But when he entered this community, that was not permissible. And that's why this shows another approach to the world. Because what happened in that community is as soon as you came in, you came under the leadership of the shepherds. And the shepherds were leaders that heard directly from God, and they would tell you what they heard. And those shepherds got involved in screening everybody in the community and getting involved in their personal affairs. Even though their intentions may have been good, it became manipulative and coercive. So people like Phil Kagey were told, you know what, you need to learn to do menial, hard, tedious work until you learn self-denial and discipline in serving others. And then we'll let you know when you're ready to go out there and tell the world the good news. Do you hear how this response is another response to the world. And it really looks like a yellow light. You can't see it quite as well lit up there, but this is kind of, I'm sorry, a red light. It's an idea of stop, don't go any closer. So it's not go toward the world, go with the current. It's go against it in the way of withdraw. So I'm in the world, I'm out of, I'm not of the world, but I'm certainly not in the world. So what is Jesus calling us to here? What does it look like to be in the culture, but not of the culture? What does it look like to be in Christ in the culture? And to be different, to be distinct, to be someone who's unlike, who's going against the current. Paul Cole tells the story of the man in Mark chapter 5. 
If you remember, he's marginalized, he's worthless, he doesn't feel any personal self-worth, he's demon-possessed, and Jesus travels across the Sea of Galilee to where he is, to a place that's really a pagan place. It's a Gentile place where the name of God is not known. There aren't synagogues there. And he touches this man who's living on the outside of the city. And we're told that this man who had been naked, who'd been cutting himself, who had been breaking chains, is now clothed in his right mind. Do you remember what happened when Jesus was ready to leave to go on the other side of the lake, what he asked? What did he ask Jesus? What did he ask Jesus? What's that? He wanted to follow Jesus. Say more about that. What did he mean by that, follow Jesus? He wanted to go with him, right? Do you know how easy it would have been to do that? To have left that community that had ostracized him and pushed him away and say, I just want to be with you because I feel like here I belong. I am someone. Look what you've done for me. All I want to do is just thank you. Jesus says, the best way you can thank me is to go out. So where does he go? He goes east of Israel to a region called the Decapolis where there were 10 cities. Now the proof is in what happened when this man impacted culture, this one single man. Because 30 years later, Josephus, the, the Jewish historian, says that there was a persecution in 100 AD that happened, I'm sorry, in 70 AD. And that was when Jerusalem fell. And it was in that time that Christians were pushed out after being persecuted, and they landed in the Decapolis region. What did they find there? This region that had been secularized and pagan, where there were no synagogues, suddenly it has churches, it has businesses. There's evidence that God has been infiltrating this culture and changing it. It becomes a place of refuge and safety for believers that are fleeing from persecution. And if we know anything else about the gospel, the gospel traveled east, right? That's where Thomas took the gospel to India, and it continued going around the world. So I want you to think with me about how Jesus is calling us here. One life laid down for him, impacting the culture. Where Jesus says, no, don't come with me, go out. Go out and make a difference in the lives of others. And that's exactly what happened with this man. See, Jesus' message is really a yellow signal. It's don't withdraw completely. Stay engaged, but don't embrace the world because it is in conflict with me. Jesus, in talking to his disciples, sums this up in verses 22 and 24 of John 15. He explains what it looks like to be ones who are in the world, but not of the world. And he says here, they, speaking of the world and its system and those who belong to the world, they would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them. But now they have no excuse for their sin. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. You see what Jesus is saying there? He's saying, what I want you to do is I want you to both speak and I want you to show. That's what it means to be in the world and not of it. I want you to speak and show even 
If you were like the people in this picture, sticking out of the crowd, going the other direction, what does that look like to do that? What it looks like is it means choosing God's will over what pleases us. That's different. It means focusing less on getting and keeping possessions, right? And more on what lasts after we're gone. It means overcoming evil with good, not with force and manipulation. That the way we go about doing things, the way we influence, is going to be different. It means being obedient and loyal to Jesus. If one day, maybe, maybe even today, we're pushed by authorities to betray what Jesus has called us to be and to do. It means being honest. It means being loyal to our commitments to our spouses, to each other and our church. It means showing compassion. It means treating our bodies as the, as the, spirit, as the vessels of the Holy Spirit and not abusing them with addictions. All these ways are ways that we show and tell and speak of what it looks like to be in the world, but not of it. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I love how the scriptures are so real because they talk to us about the effects when we both speak and tell. In verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 2, it says, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And what does it say in your Bible there next? I'm curious to hear. Who is equal to such a task? Does anyone find themselves today there? Wow. Some people are going to encounter us and they're going to smell, right? They're going to sense that you're going the opposite way and maybe feel judged for it. Maybe feel like you're telling me that I'm going the wrong way. There's going to be others that are going to be listening and going, what is it you're about? Showing and telling. Look at John 15 verse 20 now. Jesus says, do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And then I love this. He's told us the hard news, right? We will be persecuted as he was persecuted. But then what does he say? And if they listen to me, they would listen to you. Do you hear that promise? You might be persecuted. You might experience opposition. But he's saying, there are people listening out there. What is the message that you and I are speaking and showing? I had a friend in Spain who was a truck driver named Valero. And I remember Valero would tell me that at the truck stops, all the truck drivers would gather around a big long table and eat at the middle of their day. And he knew if faith came up, his faith in Christ came up at this table among most of these non-churched individuals, that it was usually to ridicule him. They were going to call him out and make fun of how different he was from the rest of them. 
But he told me this. He said, if before or after the meal or another time, a truck driver walked up to him and talked to him about his faith, it was usually to tell him that they had a problem that they needed help with or that they were curious about his life and wanted to know more about what was going on and why he was who he was. And Baleto said, that's when I spoke up. I didn't speak around the table because I just knew it was just to ridicule and to call me out. It didn't change. I wasn't ashamed of the Lord, but I knew when my moment was, when they were listening. And that's when I spoke. So I wanted to close with an example of someone from our congregation to share a little bit about what this is like for them. And I know that it's risky doing this because none of us are doing this perfectly, right? Who's up to such a task? Who's equal to such a task, right? So we're all imperfectly, awkwardly trying to do this in our own worlds. And it looks different for each one of us. So I encourage, Jim, would you come forward and share your story of how you're doing that where you are? I need my notes to keep me on track. So when, when Pastor Jim asked me to share something about how I see being in this world but not of it at work, it was a challenging question. Growing up in an Anabaptist setting, that usually meant what I didn't do. I didn't go to dances, I didn't go to movies. I didn't personally participate in war, didn't lie, didn't cheat, didn't swear. That's what it meant. But it was a good question and something that I didn't think of before in that setting specifically at work. So after I thought about it, I decided to share it in this way. Dr. Hur, thank you for being so kind, says a nurse one day. How does one respond? Thank you, I said. I try. Now, that was pretty lame. In my head, I was thinking, it's a good thing my thought and feelings don't usually show at work. I might not always appear so kind inside as I appear outside. So now you know. So what does this have to do with the question? Is it not because of Christ and his spirit in me that is much of the kindness the nurse saw. I also fortunately had godly parents that modeled this type of behavior. Why didn't I use this opportunity to glorify Jesus? Yeah, that's another place where I'm often one or two steps behind an open door to acknowledge Jesus in my life. When people see kindness and care coming from me, Despite what I know sometimes is a judgmental attitude about a person's life choice or a self-inflicted problem, it's then that I recognize that even at work, I am in this world physically, emotionally, and subject to all of the forces that might bend my character, but I here also represent a different, different kingdom, which calls me to submit my own human reactions and flaws to the spirit I serve. It was that spirit 
that the nurse saw and daily I attempt to recognize and that grows in my ability to walk in that truth. And I attempt that each day. Praise to God.